Blog Talk Radio. It's a beautiful day, American Mentors reporting on America's future. Last week we previewed the 2015 State of the Union Address from the perspective of America's legendary stolen people. For the first time in a generation, America revisited that hallowed earth we know as Selma, Alabama. It's been 50 years since the nation came face to face with its reality and its destiny on Pettus Bridge. The protest then was about some basic human rights to include those inalienable rights guaranteed to citizens of the United States of America. This year, the protest evolves. As it does, it must include those whose right to govern impacts your right to pursue life more abundant. We'll want to touch on this endowed vision of the future from the perspective of one value-added scholar in the Youth USA corporate village. You can tweet us at YouthUSA, like us on Facebook.com slash YouthAchieversUSA, or call in during our live show, 657-383-1405, Saturdays 12 noon Eastern, 11 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. on the West Coast. I'm Eric Stratford. And I'm Stephanie Stratford. He's high-tech. She's high-touch. I am so grateful to the Youth Achievers USA organization because they are the ones who have been very instrumental in identifying the youngsters who would be eligible for these scholarships. I certainly would encourage young people early in their lives to plan their career path as soon as they're able to look at what makes them happy, what makes them safe, what makes them feel good about themselves. The most important thing that I felt when I was growing up was I wanted to have a real true identity. I think it's important for young people to know who they are. travels, but we didn't get far home to find it. We love it so much that folks who come in often make comments about it, thinking that we bought this in a very expensive art gallery. And oftentimes I try, at all times really, to tell them the real story. We bought it at one of these auctions for $50. He delighted in telling people that we spent a family fortune so it has always been very precious to me, the story we get out in truth as often as we can, but we are pleased that our friends enjoy looking at it and feeling that we are indeed art connoisseurs. On behalf of the American Mentor Wire Service of Youth Achievers USA Institute, I'm excited to have this conversation with Evelyn Walker Armstrong, founder and chair of the J.D. and Lorena Walker Fund. The J.D. and Lorena Walker Fund of Youth USA promotes a legacy of lifelong learning and service endowed by its founder. The fund perpetuates family values endowed by Ms. Armstrong's parents, J.D. and Lorena Walker. My mother and my father were very influential people in my life. We had the pleasure of growing up 
in what we refer to as a suburb of Philadelphia, but it was really a part of Philadelphia. We grew up in Elmwood, which is just about outside of the West Philadelphia area. Mm -hmm. We were fortunate enough to have a single home that was built by my father, a wonderful parent who cared deeply about us and about their four children. The Walkers were from Griffin, Georgia, and migrated to Philadelphia in 1926. Evelyn, her sister Mary Ann, and her brothers James and Edward were encouraged to pursue an education, service, and work ethic. Ms. Armstrong started the Walker Fund after retiring from Merck. Yes, the research facility that we served when I was working outside of West Point or based in West Point, covered at that point the research scientists in Galway, New Jersey and West Point, Pennsylvania. As our research staffs enlarged, we were creating new research laboratories in other parts of New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Virginia, etc. And we were trying to start to tie in all the scientific information and making certain that it was being fed to our research scientists. We moved on, at some one point we purchased, Merck and Co. Inc. purchased a company in England. And I had the pleasure of going there to create a new literature, published literature information system and library. And that particular system was being used by the entire corporation. I also worked with them in Montreal when they also joined forces with Merck Frost, which was a company that Merck acquired. So I was able to get involved in other branches, other geographic locations of Merck through that extension of my department's exposure of literature to the research. I'd like for you to first talk about Drexel and tell me about the Evelyn Walker Armstrong Endowed Scholarship at Drexel and how it came about. I received my master's degree in library science from Drexel University. And the reason that I felt it was important to work in a scholarship mode, I wanted to see more African American students consider information science as a career choice. And so I did establish the scholarship at Drexel University in order to expose what I thought was a great career for me to bring it to the attention of others in the African American community. I have met with the, some of the students who have benefited from that and I, we go out to lunch, and I have been very much involved with not just the dean of the library school, but the president, or the former president, Dr. Papadakis, who passed away a couple of years ago, very much involved with whatever activities took place, social activities, with his programs and his events. The Howard University Scholarship I ended up having that in the School of Pharmacy and Science, primarily because I was working in a science community. And again, we want to see more and more African Americans involved in the sciences. That is a push that's happening right now. So hopefully, 
we have been instrumental in getting more students in the science field following the dictates of the government and others in terms of opening up new careers. You have also been very instrumental in making sure the J.D. and Lorena Walker Fund of Youth Achievers USA Institute becomes a reality. And even though you may not realize it, there are so many young people that have benefited from your commitment. I'd like to just read you a few. One, Pam Wee Gibson, she went to Scripps College, and then from Scripps, she continued her education at the Harvard School of Government, and then not only pursued teaching, but then became an administrator and a principal and went back to New Orleans to serve as a principal there after Katrina. This is a, a tremendous accomplishment. Um, there has also been Lauren Sullivan, which I understand you knew her family quite well. And Lauren attended and graduated from Spelman in Atlanta and then has gone on to Meharry Medical School, which she has now completed her studies at Meharry. And now she is pursuing uh, her career in uh, as a pediatrician at Vanderbilt. Uh, when you hear about these stories, um, and, and there are so many more, uh, Curtis Word, who went to Cheney, graduated cum laude, and as a result of the J.D. and Lorena Walker Fund, he has been able to not only graduate, but go back to Cheney and work at Cheney University. When you hear these stories, what comes to your mind? What comes to my mind primarily is I am so grateful to the Youth Achievers USA organization because they are the ones who have been very instrumental in identifying the youngsters who would be eligible for these scholarships. They have looked at them. This is the group that looks at youngsters or works with youngsters between the ages of 7 and 24 to groom them in terms of where they want to go with their career choices. And they have been instrumental, that is the Youth Achievers USA, in getting these youngsters, identifying them, and getting them in the right places that are best in terms of their life choices. So I would certainly take my hat off to that group, and it has made much in terms of advertising and bringing to light these two scholarships that were formed as a result of the J.D. and Marina Walker Fund. You have also been instrumental in funding disaster relief. Um, one of the areas has been Hurricane Katrina, uh, Rita disaster relief, and Haiti disaster relief. All three of those disasters have benefited from your philanthropy. Is there a reason why disaster relief has been an area that you feel committed to? Well, certainly when you hear about the devastation that occurs whenever there is a major event uh, similar to the ones that you have itemized, 
We really feel a responsibility that if we can help, we ought to investigate what the needs are and to support those individuals wherever they are. And that's the reason why we extend it out beyond the scholarship piece to be helpful to those who are experiencing these bad things. We owe it to America to give back, and that's what we're trying to do. There have also been some nonprofit organizations that are faith-based, uh, Heritage International Ministries and One-Way Deliverance Ministries. Uh, both of them are in Louisiana that you have contributed to as well. Uh, of course, both of these organizations are doing great things, one throughout the world and the other one working with persons who have come through disaster relief. But I'm wondering how what you do might impact local communities, uh, regional areas, and also, as you say, the world. When we learn that as a result of anything that is unusual that is happening that might impact families, and especially children, we have a responsibility to put them in a more stable environment. If it means food, if it means clothing, if it means housing, whatever we can contribute, we must contact the individuals on site who are doing what they can to improve the lives of these people. It is our duty. You have traveled throughout the world extensively. Uh, six of seven continents, I understand. Have you ever had a wow experience in your travels? Well, I have because I can think, I never thought I would visit Australia and New Zealand. And certainly I wanted to spend time in Africa. And I think just visiting these countries and absorbing their culture and getting to know their people is very important. But I must make a confession. Of all the places I've been, the place that I wish that I could go back to and live for a, an extended period of time happens to be London. It's a city that excites me. I think maybe there's something to do with the fact that they speak English. But my travels have meant much to me. And now that I'm not doing very much of it, I say often, I'm glad I did it while I could. Life has been beautiful. You mentioned in your last statement about if there is something that we can do for young people to provide housing, food, clothing, uh, something to stabilize their lives, that we should do it if it's within our realm of possibility. What would your words of wisdom be to young people regarding increasing their assets and reducing their liabilities? I certainly would encourage young people early in their lives to plan their career path as soon as they're able to look at what makes them happy, what makes them safe, what makes them feel good about themselves. The most important thing that I felt when I was growing up was I wanted to have a real true identity. I think it's important for young people to know who they are. Once they know who they are, 
once they have a good feeling about who they are, they are in a better position to reach out and to help others. And they can do anything they want to do because their mind is set on doing the best for themselves. You have to start out knowing that you are treating yourself, your body, your family the best way you can. And then you can begin to reach out and help other people. You can't do it if you're depending on other people to identify you. Make certain that you are, you know how to plan, you know what's good for you, and stay on the, po on the positive side of the ledger. Now, if you can read, write, calculate, communicate, think, reason, and use good judgment, we believe that you are educated. Your diploma, degree, or certification serves as proof that you are educated and therefore trainable. Once trained, an educated person can choose to be an asset and therefore not a liability to society. It would be fair and just to say that being educated is a requirement for 21st century economic inclusion. Your initial training begins with an Internet-accessible version of the Money Smart Financial Literacy course provided by the FDIC known as the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation. The federal government's investment in the creation and maintenance of this course adds value to a future core vision for economic inclusion. If you want in on your own economy, take the course and save your FDIC certificates in Adobe PDF format. So, if we can get some winners to pull out a pencil and paper, a calculator, or a computer, we'll walk through the numbers behind your creating economic opportunity. First of all, if you're a Youth USA beneficiary, you share in all rights and responsibilities afforded to you and other winners at the annual Youth Achievement Awards. Youth USA has been qualifying economic beneficiaries through this program since 1996. A national board of seven elected directors manages economic programs supported by a $500,000 annual operating budget. Three Youth USA beneficiaries currently serve on the national board of directors. In 2015 and beyond, nominations, elections, and program management activities will be coordinated in the conference center. Cloud-based meeting and collaboration technology has supported Youth USA operations since 2002. A monthly subscription of $12 per stakeholder per month augments philanthropic investment, such as the $525,000 sought from the Executives Alliance to expand opportunities for boys and men of color. Now, here's some math for you calculating winners. The Future Core 7 project, also titled The National Learn to Earn, entrusts four community asset managers to manage economic fellowships for three Youth USA beneficiaries each. That's 12 beneficiaries in fellowship with Youth USA. Each of these 12 beneficiaries qualified by raising a whole village of 20 caring adults for a total of 240 caring adults or stakeholders. 
Now, just imagine that all 240 caring adults in this MBK, or My Brother's Keeper community, live below the poverty level. The $12 monthly subscription paid for by philanthropic investors identifies $34,560 to fund learn-to-earn activity for any caring adult who is ready, willing, and able to share in a youth's economic security. The learn-to-earn activity is managed by a member-owned social enterprise, which values time as well as dollar investments by low-income stakeholders. The company, under development in Youth USA Social Enterprise Incubator, reinvests a value from colonial America at a time when persons of color have been constitutionally and statutorily valued as less than equal. A review of 18th century colonial America reveals a legacy of self-help and resilience through social enterprise. Historically, Free African Society was established in the spring of 1787 here in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, shortly before the Constitutional Convention was held in the city. Richard Allen, a Methodist preacher, and Absalom Jones rejected the second-class status blacks were forced into at their white-dominated Methodist church. The men and their supporters wanted to create an independent group to meet African-American needs. They designed the Free African Society as a mutual aid society to help support widows and orphans, as well as the sick or unemployed. They supported the education of children, or arranged apprenticeships if the children could not attend one of the free schools that were developed. This enterprise provided social and economic guidance, as well as medical care, it also helped new citizens establish their new sense of self-determination. While teaching thriftiness and how to save to build wealth, it became the model for banks in the African-American community. Youth Achievers USA Institute, known as Youth USA, is the intellectual proprietor of the 21st century joint venture social enterprise. It's designed to address capacity-building needs for faith and community nonprofit entities. The organization develops user-friendly data collection tools to engage community leaders who are ready, willing, and able to participate. The reintroduction of free African society as a viable 21st century solution entity creates community reinvestment opportunities for corporate, government, and philanthropic investors in collaborative efforts to reduce poverty and to restore trust. Our new year presents a vision of the future for economic security. It starts intentional engagement with historically disadvantaged Americans. On July 1, 2016, historically disadvantaged descendants of Richard Allen's altruistic ministry will gather at Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The occasion is the 50th Quadrennial Conference of the African Methodist Episcopal Church. 
During this event, the historic religious organization will elect bishops and general officers for service throughout the world. The lineage of AME bishops dates back to its first quadrennial meeting, July 1, 1816, in Baltimore, Maryland. The Connectional Church elected Richard Allen as its first bishop and has since continued this electoral process. USA proposed Learn to Earn as a theory of change to promote economic opportunity through national service. Investment in L2E might have valued FutureCorps as a return on investment in America's future. USA, as well as the United States government, recognizes basic financial literacy as a critical link for connecting low- to moderate-income citizens to economic opportunity. But let's be real. The one logical, measurable approach to meeting the needs of economically disadvantaged Americans is money in the bank. In case you missed this, economic inclusion is a term used by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, FDIC, that insures your money in the bank to describe a variety of public and private efforts that are aimed at bringing underserved consumers into the financial mainstream. According to the FDIC, a significant number of people in the U.S. have little or no current relationship with a financial institution. The southern regions of the United States represent the largest population of unbanked and underbanked citizens. For those Americans who have been historically excluded, economic inclusion is the new conversation about race. Economic security or financial security is the condition of having stable income or other resources to support a standard of living now and in the foreseeable future. Financial security more often refers to individual and family money management as well as savings, while economic security tends to include the broader effect of a society's production levels and monetary support for non-working citizens. But if you want to persist in writing a social history of the Obama years, one that captured the day-to-day experience of political life, you would find that the economy, and not race, has saturated everything as perhaps never before. Hardly a day goes by without a mention of employment security or job security. And now, with a Republican majority in Congress, Americans of African heritage are clinging to hope for some other stuff that matters as much or more than race, like debt, health care, and unemployment. Whereas the great themes of the Bush years revolved around foreign policy and a cultural divide over what or who constituted real America, the Obama years have been defined by a nation's commitment to its future economic security. As the 114th Congress begins to govern, one of its top priorities must be restoring trust in one nation under God. The newly elected and the remnant from the 113th Do-Nothing Congress will need to consider the state of the union. Will we continue the chaos or strive 
to demonstrate community. Understanding the difference between right and wrong ultimately defines America's willingness to inherit that legacy envisioned by the framers of the U.S. Constitution. In the days ahead, we'll want to recommit to some American values, paid for in blood and guaranteed by our laws. In the meantime, keep in mind that Youth Achievers USA Institute is a national 501c3 public charity. We develop programs designed to engage youth beneficiaries and caring adult stakeholders in economic security activity where they live, learn, work, and worship. Our mission is to build capacity around youth ages 7 through 24, empowering them to believe and achieve their spiritual, physical, social, financial, educational, professional, and recreational goals. To learn more about economic opportunities, get started today with a free application worksheet to the Annual Youth Achievement Awards. I'm Stephanie Stratford. And I'm Eric Stratford. You're tuned to Youth USA Radio, where time is money. Somewhere out there is a whole village ready, willing, and able to invest in a community asset where you live, learn, work, and worship. Tune in each Saturday, 12 noon Eastern, to Youth USA Radio, or visit us anytime at www.youthusa.net. Every day is a new day, so when you wake up, smile. Whether you live in the inner city or stay uptown, they say no one can see the future, but that's totally wrong. Look in the eyes of our youth and you'll be quoting this song. Indeed, I believe I can achieve whatever I believe I can achieve, which means I can be the one that I've seen in my dreams so many times. So it's up to me to be or not to be. What it'll take for you to get there is prayer, determination, patience, and a little faith. It's clear. It's not a race, but a walk in the light with the teachings beyond the class and reaching beyond your grasp, believing that what you have is nothing compared to what you'll gain. If your faith and your efforts can be sustained, no more to be explained. So with that, I'll leave you with this. The key to succeed is to believe. believe. I believe I can achieve whatever I believe I can achieve. I believe I can achieve whatever I believe I can achieve. I believe I can achieve whatever I believe I can achieve. I believe I can achieve whatever I believe I can achieve. <laughs> 